Hey, Saber Talk listeners, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. I'm Mark Geis, your host. Finally, get to talk about a win with you again. Um, so, the Sabres won 6 to 4 against Montreal at home. Finally, the Sabres were able to score some goals at home, come up with a win. Um, it was really nice to see that, even though they definitely benefited from poor goaltending. But you get to see David Legwan finally score on a breakaway. And I'm not sure if that's the first time he's done it all year. It certainly feels like it. It seems like he's got about a 1 in 50 success rate so far this year. I don't know how he comes up with so many breakaways but and even partial breakaways. But he was able to finally convert one. That was nice to see. Uh, Kane and Foligno, they both came up with two goals. Uh, Georges also got one, only his second of the year, I believe. And that was on a really weird play by by Ben Scrivens getting completely lost, going for a skate, coming across the net. Um, the Sabres, they, they really didn't play that great, you know, as great as six goals and the score would indicate. But they really took advantage of poor goaltending, and they did what they had to do to, to pull out the win. So, uh, Also, the Sabres didn't get great goaltending. Chad Johnson didn't have a very good night especially on that third goal when I don't know what he was thinking, throwing it up the boards like that. He had Jake McCabe right next to him and could have easily given it to him. McCabe would have had some time to make a play because there was nobody, there was no Montreal forward super close to him. Andrew Ghetto was up about at the hash marks on the board, but until he decides to throw it up the boards right where Andrew Ghetto was, and he was able to put his body against the board, stop it, and just throw it on net. And Johnson also wasn't fast to get back out in front. It's almost like he didn't realize that it was a, a risky play that he was making. So that was weird. But like I said, just like with the team, he did what he had to do to pull out the win. Still gave up four goals. It was closer than you'd like to see with how bad Montreal's goaltending was. But he got the win. Um, so among players that really stood out in a positive way. Evander Kane, he's really been on fire recently, and he was great once again tonight. He was playing on a line with Ryan O'Reilly and Sam Reinhart, reuniting that line from from earlier this year. And he has just been been great offensively and bringing his physical play, drew a couple penalties. He was getting into it with P.K. Subban, or as Rob Ray would call him, P.K. Subban. And... I like him a lot with Sam Reinhardt. I'm still kind of on the fence with how, with how he looks with O'Reilly and if he'll fit with O'Reilly long-term. But I really do like him and Reinhardt together. And I, and I wonder if we'll see in the future, is Reinhardt really as comfortable playing center, if eventually O'Reilly and Eichel play together, probably with Eichel in the middle, O'Reilly on the wing. Uh, and then you have Reinhardt centering the second line and you have Kane next to him. But Kane, I've also liked him a lot at being the catalyst on the third line, playing with somebody like a Johan Larson at, at center, maybe somebody like Marcus Foligno or, you know, a, a kind of banger with with some offensive talent on the other wing. He's looked good on that kind of line. I've liked him with, with Johan Larson. So Kane, I'm still, I don't know where he fits long term, but if he's playing like this, there's a spot in the lineup for him. I don't want him next to Eichel because that really has failed every time they've tried it. But I know there's a spot for him, whether it's on the second line or third line, and it's really nice to see. It looks like he's going to get to 20 goals. He finally went on the roll that we were hoping he would. And with how many shots he gets on that, you figured he had to he had to be on a streak at some point this year, and it's come now. 
Felino also I just mentioned him. He was he was very good tonight. He was rewarded with with two goals. He really brought some energy and I think he showed the skill that he has. He had a career high of three points. He had a nice assist on um, on the Kane goal in front. Pass from O'Reilly to to Felino. Felino made the nice pass to Kane. Kane finished it. And I think Felino has a lot more talent than some people are willing to give him credit for. It's because he he really becomes invisible so much of the time that I think you forget that he does have skill. But when he's on, he he he's hitting people. He has skill. He has size. He's he's going to be that type of player that you want to have in the playoffs on a playoff run. But his issue is still just consistency. And I know that happens with a lot of big guys, a lot of power forward types. We've been waiting on him for a long time, but I think if he can iron out those consistency issues, which he may never will, but if he does, he can be a really important part of a long-term solution here and of a of a real contender here in a few years. Um, Justin Bailey, I thought he had a couple of gaps in the defensive zone. I think he's still learning there and in the neutral zone in the NHL. Obviously, it's only a second game, so that's to be expected. But he, he's still one of the most talented wingers on this team. Really isn't saying much with how devoid this team is of talent on the wing, especially when you've got Tyler Ennis and Zemgis Gergensen's out of the lineup. Then you have Larson out as well, which, which will force a winger to play center. In some cases, when you had Reinhardt move from wing to center, that took even another important winger away. So that's not saying a ton, but I think – he's shown enough and he shows the talent where he should get an extended look here down the stretch. And they're going to move some parts to the deadline. I'm going to talk about that later in the podcast, but they're going to, they're going to make some moves at the deadline. They're going to be chances here for players to come up that maybe otherwise wouldn't have gotten a shot to see what they could do. And I think he's going to be one of those guys. And I think you can put him next to Eichel say, put him on, put him in the top nine and let him see what he can do. Let him see if he can really start to figure it out and come into camp next year and try to win a job. Um, so looking more at the defense, uh, Mark Pesic was scratched tonight, which is a pretty interesting move. I, I didn't hear anything about an injury, read anything about an injury, so I'm pretty sure it was just a maintenance night or whatever you want to call it. He was scratched. He was a healthy scratch. And I was really surprised to see him be the one that got the seat with – how much this defense has struggled? I, I think he hasn't been very good recently. But I think Georges has been arguably the worst defenseman on the team relative to the role that he plays. So when he's playing with Rasmus Ristolainen, he's been the worst considering that role that he's playing. So I thought he would have been the first one to get the seat. Maybe because, you know, because he's a leader in the locker room, he's a veteran, that Bilesman doesn't want to do that to him. But... I think he would have been my first choice to get the night off. They need to get Carlo Koliakovo in the lineup. I would have moved him out first. And I think Bogosian struggled more than Pesic recently. Sometimes it's tough to tell which one's struggling more because they were on the same pairing, and that pairing was really struggling. But I think Bogosian was the one running around more and leaving Pesic in worse positions. Not that Pesic wasn't doing the same at times, but I think it was Bogosian much more just – just going for a skate in the defensive zone sometimes and not really being aware of of where he's supposed to be and then leaving Pesic in, in bad situations. I think that was happening more than Pesic doing it to Bogosian. So I thought that was kind of a weird move. I expect Pesic to be back next game. He's still, I would say, the second most important defenseman on this team. 
I also wouldn't have been surprised to see Cody Franson be sat down, but I haven't minded him for the role that he's playing. I think he's been okay considering how much of a tire fire this defense has been. I think he's been okay in that third pairing role, getting a little bit of power play time with the second unit. Um, so Phil Veroni, he was back up to replace Cadnacci in the lineup. It looks like Gergensen is going to be back on Sunday, possibly. The reports are still, they're not sure, but I think he was, if he was, if he'd been eligible to come off the IR sooner, he may have gone tonight. So he very well may go on Sunday and I would expect Veroni to be the one that comes out of the lineup, whether he's then the 13th forward or if he gets sent back to Rochester, we'll see. Uh, but it'll be nice to have Gergensen's back in the lineup. He, I think he'll probably slot in as the third line center again. It's tempting to put him at wing. He was starting to get some get some chemistry with uh, with Eichel. It'd be nice to see him slot there again. But I think with Larson out, they're gonna Biles was gonna put Gergensen at that spot at least till Larson comes back. Then maybe move Gergensen's back to the wing. And then when Larson comes back, who knows if possibly a guy like Jamie McGinn could be gone. Now there's a more glaring need on the on the wing, so it makes it even more likely Gergensen's will be moved over. Um, so that'll be nice to get Gergensen's back if he does come back. They certainly miss him and his energy, and really the team needs all the forward talent it can get. And with Veroni, you kind of know what you're going to get with him, so he's really just a fill-in player at this point. He may come up after guys are moved at the deadline, and kind of like last year where he became one of those guys in the lineup down the stretch. Uh, my wife called. I remember they had uh, Gianta, Veroni, and Felino on a line together for times, and she called it the pasta line because of the, the Italian names. But maybe you could see a line like that happen again. I know she'd be elated, and if she listens to this, she'll she'll get a good laugh out of that. But he may be back up here again when those trades happen, but he's really just kind of a filler. And there's not upside there like you have with a guy like like Justin Bailey. So I referenced the trade deadline a couple times. I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. I really haven't changed my position on the trade deadline either way. I think any piece they can move out for assets with expiring contracts need to be moved out. And that includes Jamie McGinn. I don't think I would not be willing to pay the type of term that he's going to be able to go out and get on the open market with how with how tough it is to find goal scoring these days. It's kind of like power in baseball. It's so tough to find goal scoring now, and it's at such a premium that I think somebody's going to overpay him. And he's kind of the prototypical guy that gets overpaid on the free agent market, a guy that does a lot of things pretty well. He's not a good defensive player, but he can chip in his 15 to 20 goals. You know, he he can fit in on a couple different lines. He He plays hard. He may be part of a playoff run if he goes somewhere and fit in somewhere on a the team needs a second line winger, kind of a sheltered line. He'd be a good fit there. But he's not a guy that I want to commit, you know, four years and 14 to $16 million to, which I think is around the range that he's going to get in the open market. If you can get him for less, if it can be a two-year $8 million commitment or something like that, I would be on board. But I think he's going to get more than that, especially with his age. He's still pretty young, especially when it comes to unrestricted free agents. He's, he's young, so a team may even extend – a year or more further than what they normally would if, say, he was a 30-year-old unrestricted free agent. And then guys like Legwand, Weber, Chad Johnson, you've got to see what you can get there. And any assets are good assets. Gives them more ammunition to try to move up. 
and even if they're fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, they they need to Murray needs to be seeing what he can do, and he can retain salaries on on three of these guys. And so someone like Legwan, I think that makes him more valuable, being able to retain 50% of his cap hit down the stretch. Um, same thing maybe with Weber. Weber can be a nice six or seven for a playoff team, give him some defensive depth. And they may be, may be able to return a couple mid-round picks. And I've said this before, but I, I would also see what the market is like out there for Josh Georges and see if somebody's willing to take that contract off your hands and give up a third third-round pick or something to that extent for him, I would really be tempted to do that. And if he's, if he's willing to, to waive his no trade clause to go there and he very well may be to, to go to a contender, if somebody's willing to take on the two more years left on his deal, but obviously Molson, there's no way they can move him in season and to move him in the off season. They're going to have to take back probably an equally bad contract or give up considerable assets to do that. So he's not an option to move. Somebody like Brian Gianta, he's not an option to move. Maybe Cody Franson. Uh, I don't know what the market would be like for him out there, but if they get a decent pick back for him, and you can pick up somebody like that again in the offseason, I think. So really, I think all those expiring contracts need to go and really explore what the markets are like, specifically for Georges and Franson when it comes to non-expiring contracts. And you can bring up some of the guys from the AHL, Probably you'll get a couple roster fillers back, kind of like when they traded Enroth and Neuvert last year and took back um, Lynn back and Chad Johnson. You can probably get some forward fillers back in the lineup. And that's what I would look to do with the trade deadline. I think if, if they do anything else, if they try to extend McGinn, I think it's a mistake. Um, another thing that came up in Sabres news was Bob McKenzie said the said that Buffalo would be Stamkos' top choice if he hits the free agent market, which I thought was very interesting. And I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast. I, I remember having a conversation about this with a friend of mine um, because I was trying to – I don't think I was being a homer, being overly optimistic, but just saying that it could Buffalo could make sense. Because if you think about Stamkos, right now when you look at the Toronto-Tampa Bay dichotomy, you have Tampa who's – basically got all the pieces in place to be a contender, but they can't pay him what other teams can pay him. And Toronto, you know, they've got all the money. They have a ton of cap space. They can commit over $10 million a year to him easily. And that is his hometown. I know maybe he'd like to go back there and be the savior. But if he wants both the money and a place where he can win, really what better place is there right now this offseason than Buffalo? Buffalo's already got Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart, Ryan O'Reilly, Rasmus Ristolainen in place. A bunch of core pieces. Then you've got some good secondary core pieces like Gergensen's and Evander Kane and Mark Pesic. And they have an owner with a ton of money to play around with. And they have a real window. I've said, I know I've said this on the podcast many times. But if they could add a player like that, that 2017-2018 season becomes very, very interesting. And so if you bring on Stamkos, say he's making $10 million a year, $11 million a year, that 2018 offseason, all of a sudden you're going to have to start making some tough choices. But you could have a real window that year, and I think you have to be aggressive if a player like that comes available. I don't want to see him spend a bunch of money on second-tier free agents because those are the contracts you tend to end up regretting. But somebody of Stamkos' caliber who's still in the prime of his career, if you can bring him on board and you still have Reinhardt and Eichel – 
on their entry-level deals in 2017, 2018. You've hopefully hopefully already locked up risk line in long-term. Hopefully it's a fair cap hit. Hopefully it's not too exorbitant. But that year could be a real window. And then you've got to start making decisions. They're probably going to have to start trading away some of those secondary core guys, starting to look more and more like the, the Chicago model where they've got to keep trading players away, bringing in cheaper, younger replacements, find veterans on on kind of one-year one year deals that want to come for a chance to win. But I think you need to make a really strong play for Stamkos this offseason if he hits the open market. And I think Buffalo makes a ton of sense for him. So I can see why McKenzie said this. And I'm not sure if it's speculation or if there actually is rumor out there that Stamkos has thought about Buffalo. But it was pretty interesting to say that Toronto wasn't on his list. So I'm trying to think where else could he go. And there aren't a ton of teams that are contenders or on the brink of contention that both are going to spend up to the cap can that have an owner with limitless pockets and Buffalo is an hour and a half from Toronto. So he is very close to home. He's not in Toronto, but I think it makes a lot more sense for him to go to Buffalo than to go to Toronto where they're at least two years behind where, where Buffalo is right now. You know, Toronto, they don't have, they don't have a Ryan O'Reilly yet. They've got some very, very talented prospects, but none that have made the type of impact that Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt already have at the NHL level. So they're at least a year or two ahead in terms of the prospects making an impact. And I believe in what Toronto's doing up there, as much as I hate to say that. I think Mitch Marner, you know, Nylander, and they've got Morgan Riley on the back end. They've got some very good pieces. Obviously, they have another high pick this year, but... Buffalo's got elite pieces that already are making an impact in the NHL. They've already got a future number one defenseman in Ristolainen. Like I already said, Eichel and Reinhardt and O'Reilly, and then these secondary core pieces as well. Plus, they're going to have a high 2016 first-round pick as well that could step right into the lineup. So I wouldn't sleep on this on this discussion. I think it will heat up. I'm surprised more people haven't talked about it. Like I said, I'm pretty sure I talked about this already in the podcast and made a very similar point. If not, it was in a conversation with somebody else because I remember I remember speaking verbally about it, not just not just online. But it'll be interesting to see what happens there. It really will be, and I don't know if he'll decide to re up in Tampa. But I just don't see it. Those guys they want to get paid elite money. And no matter how much we want to talk about wanting to win, money I think comes first. And yeah, you might be willing to sacrifice a million dollars a year or something to go someplace where you'd rather go. But if Tampa is expecting him to take $8 million a year to stay there, he's sacrificing 11 or 12 on the open market. That's a, He's taking maybe two-thirds of what he could get somewhere else, and probably the term wouldn't be the same. So I think that is going to play a major role, money, no matter how much we want to talk about these guys wanting to win. I think that's a concern as well, and you're not just going to go to the place that can cut you the biggest check. But it's got to be... It's money first. You've got to be paid at least close to what you're worth on the open market. Then winning comes into account. And if you're looking at what's the best combination of the two, I think Buffalo makes a lot of sense. So enough of that uh, Enough of that discussion. But Next game, the Sabres are playing on Sunday at 12.30 against the Avalanche. Avalanche are coming to Buffalo. Um, our good friends Nikita Zadorov and Mikhail Grigorenko are coming back. And Colorado's a tough team. They're in playoff, they're in playoff position in the West, and they've got a real good young core of forwards, Matt Duchesne, Nate McKinnon, Landis Skog, and we've got a 
One of my favorite players in the league, Tyson Berry on the back end, always pushing the play. I think he's incredible. They've got a lot of team speed. They're young, obviously, so that plays into plays into the team speed. But they're fun to watch, and I kind of root for them because I like Zadorov and Grigorenko, and I, I'd like to see them succeed, especially with how much of a hit O'Reilly's been in Buffalo. I'd like to see that trade kind of even out over time, um, though I'm happy with the Buffalo end of the trade and with them being able to lock up O'Reilly it looks great in retrospect. I was very I was very critical of it initially because I was unsure of if the Sabres would be able to lock up O'Reilly. But once they were able to get him locked up, and I thought that was a fair deal. I thought he would have gotten more on the open market if he had, say, if he didn't have a contract now and he was going to go into the free agent pool this year, I think he would have gotten more than what he signed for with the Sabres. So after the contract was signed, I'm sure Murray knew more about that than than we as fans did. So I really liked it a lot to give up really no sure things and get a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who's really still in the prime of his career or entering the prime of his career with how young he is. It made a ton of sense for Buffalo. So that's always going to be the storyline when the Sabres play the Avalanche. But I think the Avalanche are an up and coming team. They've started to sort things out defensively and Marlamov is very good in goal. And you've got this dynamic group of forwards. Matthew Shane's having a great year. McKinnon's also having a very good year. And I think they're going to be a team that you're going to see around every year, especially if they can continue to add pieces on the back end. And if, if Zadorov can mature into that number two defenseman that a lot of – that's what I think his ultimate upside is. Maybe not that number one necessarily rock every single game, but a very good number two, which I think he will – I think he will become that with all the talent he has, his size, his skating – his shot, he's willing to jump up into the play, very confident. Uh, and it takes defenseman time to develop to that point. We got spoiled here seeing Ristolainen develop very quickly and more quickly than Zadorov. But I think Zadorov has more physical tools than Ristolainen and possibly even more upside. I, I, I don't think he'll reach his absolute top upside, but I think he will become that kind of if you have that number one guy, the perfect number two for that number one guy. That's why I was kind of excited to see a Zadorov Ristolainen pairing in the future. But like I just said, it made sense to give up Zadorov. You have to you have to give to get. Made sense to give him up in the deal to to bring back O'Reilly. So this should be an interesting game. Maybe the Sabers can build on what they did at home on Friday night. Though I'm still very skeptical of them as a home team. They've been bad all year at home. And the Avalanche are tough. The West is the West is still tough. That division is is the worst in hockey. I would be willing to say. Sorry, that was a brain fart on my part. But the Central is probably the best division in hockey. So for them to have the record that they do in in that division and to be in a wild card position, having to play the the types of teams that are that are in the Central. It proves they are a good team. And, of course, they aren't world beaters or anything. I believe their their goal differential is hovering around zero, uh, last I checked. So they're not a surefire playoff team. They very well, with a losing streak, they would fall out of that wild card position. It's pretty tight in the West. But they're a quality team, significantly better than the Sabres, and it'll be a nice test to see if Montreal is kind of broken, the Sabres – I wouldn't say handled Montreal, but beat them and 
really controlled that game for most of it just because of how they got off to the they got off to the quick lead. But if they can kind of build on that and come out with a good effort against a better team in Colorado, I'd be pretty impressed. And always nice to see the emotion from a team that now is going to be linked to the Sabres for a long time, to see the emotion coming from both teams. It'll be nice. So looking forward to it. Hopefully I'll have a podcast out pretty quickly after that game on, on Sunday afternoon. Thank you once again for listening. Appreciate it.